Bible Church. My name is Ginny and I serve as our Family Life Director here at WBC and I have just a few announcements for you before we get started. We are launching a new seminar series entitled Kingdom Conversations where we will delve into important topics and learn how scripture helps us engage with them as a church family. This year our focus is on parenting. Whether you are a new or seasoned parent, grandparent, or perhaps someone playing an important parenting role, understanding your biblical calling is vital. And we want to equip and encourage you as we partner with you in raising your children to know and love God. Join us on Friday evening, March 10th through Saturday morning, March 11th, as our team of pastors and staff lead sessions and workshops during this two-day seminar focused on shepherding our kids' hearts in today's changing culture. The cost is $25 per person, and paid childcare will be available to sign up for when you register. For more information about this seminar, including the schedule, topics, speakers, check out wheatonbible.org slash parent seminar. Registration ahead of time is required, and we look forward to seeing you there digging into God's word together about parenting. If you are seriously dating or engaged, you're invited to our Preparation for Marriage class starting on Sunday, February 26th. In this eight-week class, we will explore topics such as biblical foundation for marriage, communication, expectations, managing your finances, intimacy, and more. For more information or to register, visit wheatonbible.org marriage. If you would like to serve on or nominate someone to be considered for the committee that nominates elders each year, please pick up a form at the welcome desk in the atrium. Those who are chosen to serve on this important committee will begin meeting in the fall and prayerfully choose who from the congregation will be considered for the position of elder during our next annual meeting in January of 2024. The deadline to nominate names for the nominating committee is Sunday, February 26. And if you have any questions or need a form emailed to you, please email Donna Stone, Executive Administrative Assistant, at dstone at wheatonbible.org. Thanks for joining us this morning. I hope you guys have a great week. Good morning and welcome. Amazing grace the orchestra played for us this morning. God's grace, his undeserved favor towards his people, lavished on us through faith in Jesus Christ. May it never get old for us, and may it never get tiring for us to remember how much we need his grace and his mercy, and how desperate we are for it. May we lift the name of Jesus in our own hearts as primary as we remember his grace, and may we lift the name of Jesus in the world around us until, as it says in the scriptures, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Let's stand and worship.
Philippians 2, 6 through 11, about Jesus, who we've just proclaimed lifted high. Ladies, join me. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father.
Jesus high this morning, our true selves come into light, and we know that we don't deserve his grace as we've talked about, so we encourage you to take a few moments now quietly to reflect and to confess your sins to the Lord, and then we will be assured of our forgiveness. your amazing grace, which we are so grateful for. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the next song is called, I Will Glory in My Redeemer. And one of the um, definitions for glory is to take pride in or to take pleasure in. And so as the choir sings the song, we encourage you to think for yourself, what is it that I take pride in my Redeemer for? How do I take pleasure in him? Enjoy.
let's stand and sing, my Jesus, I love thee. the peace. Encourage people. May the peace of the Lord be with you and introduce yourselves to the people around you.
All right. It is great to hear all of your voices greeting one another. I want to ask for the ushers to come forward, and uh, as they do, I just want to remind you that this is just another portion of our worship time. Um, if you uh, want to give in the plates, you can do that. There's several different ways. You can also go to wheatonbible.org give, and you can give there, or you can send your offering in uh, to the church office and uh, you can just address it uh, to the church uh, and to our financial department there. So I'm gonna ask that the ushers start to pass those plates. As you're doing that, I wanna take you back to Genesis 4. In Genesis 4, we see one of the most tragic uh, scenes of the Bible, but we also see the heart of giving. It's the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, both, they, they brought uh, some offering before the Lord. If you uh, think back to that, Cain ended up, he, uh, he brought what he had, and then Abel also brought what he had. What's interesting is that Cain brought some of his, his fruits, but Abel brought his first, the first of his offering. And when you look at it, what, ends up, what you end up seeing is that there are two different heart conditions in that place. One came saying, this is all yours, Lord. The other came saying, part of it is. And so as you continue to think, as you give to the Lord, our prayer is that we would be a people that are always giving our first and glorifying him because he is the one that provided for us. Pray with me. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you give us the opportunity to give back to you. I thank you that you uh, want to uh, engage this community. And so I pray that you would continue to use the gifts that we bring here this morning to further your kingdom. Lord, I want to pray right now for Hannibal and um, Josh Gary, Bill Oberlin, and Kyle Reschke as they are in Albania right now, meeting with ministry partners. Soon they'll be in Greece. I pray that the gifts that we have given today would go to further the things that are happening around the world and with those that they are meeting with right now. Lord, I pray for ministry partners. I pray for uh, people that have gone to meet the needs of those in Turkey. As we think of the devastation that has taken place, I pray, Lord, that your people would flood that place with your love and that rescuing would be taking place, not only of people's lives, but of people's souls. And so, Lord, I, I ask that you would move there. And I pray for our nation. Lord, continue to do a work in our nation. I pray that where pride is, that you would break that apart. 
and that we would be a nation that falls on our knees before you. May we see the glory of who you are. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we read? Today's reading is from Matthew 16, 1 through 12. You can find this on page 84 in your journals. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this amongst themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking amongst yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Do you remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and the, how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to be a guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. My name's Phil Shields. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And I want to welcome you here this morning. For those of you gathering in this place and for those of you watching online, we're so glad that you're with us. If this is your first time and you're checking Wheaton Bible Church out, thank you. We would love to have you here. Um, if, just to tell you a little bit about us as a church, we are a congregation that is really striving to understand and to learn and to pursue what it means to love God, to love one another, to love our neighbors, and to love the nations as best as we can. And so one of the ways that we do that is by allowing the Word of God to penetrate our hearts and our souls and to transform us. And so we're going to spend some time in the Word here this morning. If you have your journals, keep them open uh, to where Ginny had us. And uh, as we look at that text, we're still in this Matthew series, and it's been a beautiful time going through this gospel. 
What we're actually doing is today we are finishing a section that we uh, kind of uh, looked at and we titled The King Like No Other, and next week we're going to start a new section. And so what that means is when you come in next week, as you bring your journals, you're going to want to grab one of the stickers out in the atrium, add that to your cover, and uh, continue that journey with us. But we're going to start in chapter 16 today. Now, if you remember, last week, Pastor Hannibal finished chapter 15. And if you think back to what was happening in chapter 15, what you saw was Jesus performing this incredible miracle and, and how he had compassion for people that weren't in the Jewish territory. And so he, he performs this, this miracle there of the, the feeding of the 4,000 and he ends up then leaving that area and he comes back to Jewish territory, which we will pick up in chapter 16. What's fascinating is that there are things that are taking place and he comes back and he has to address some things right away. Now as we get into this text and as we look at it, I believe that there's a principle that related that Jesus was speaking to his disciples specifically, but that also relates to us today. And it's simply this. It's that the influences of your heart will determine the foundation of your faith in Jesus. The influences of your heart will determine the foundation of your faith in Jesus. So we're going to look at it through three different influences. We're going to first, we're going to look at prideful influence. Then we're going to look at circumstantial influence. And then we'll end with promised influence. So you'll see these influences throughout this text. So let's start with prideful influence. And and we'll look at, at that. A couple of years ago... Uh, there was a new TV series that started on the streaming service of Hulu. It was an a interesting uh, thing where they brought about these, uh, this unexpected relationships and people often wondered, how is this going to work? The name of the series is called Only Murders in the Building. And what it did is uh, it had these main characters, and the main characters are played by Steve Martin, Martin Short, and then Selena Gomez. Now, if you don't have any idea who Selena Gomez is, she's a 30-year-old actress, a former childhood actress from the Disney Channel. And then you had two guys who had been uh, like iconic comedic actors since the 60s. And so they paired these three together. And what happens is the storyline is that these three are all following this podcast uh, on true crimes. And so they're following it and they end up, uh, they, they meet one another and they start to record their own podcast based on the murders that are happening in their building. Now when this came out, what, critics were, were wondering how in the world will this unexpected relationship of these two older gentlemen and this 30-year-old woman, how is it going to work? Well, by TV standards... It became a massive success. 
And people uh, saw that this cast from these different eras came together and, and put together this incredible uh, successful series on Hulu. Now what's fascinating is that if you look throughout history, you end up seeing unexpected relationships and partnerships all over the place. Whether it comes from TV or politics or teammates, whatever it is, you will find unexpected uh, re- uh, partnerships that will form. That's exactly what we find in chapter 16. See, it wasn't supposed to work this way. But if you look at verse 1, you end up seeing the partnership that comes together. Hannibal actually talked about this a couple weeks ago, but in verse 1 it says, The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, I highlighted there for you the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because it's very important that you see that this unexpected partnership comes together between these two groups. Often I think we read our Bible and we think, well, that's just normal. They're just normal together. And that's not the case. See, as soon as Jesus returns to Jewish territory, these two groups confront him. This unexpected partnership comes together and they come with a demand. Now, whenever you look at this, uh, we have to understand that word is probably spread from what took place in in Matthew 15, and so he gets to this area, and this group comes together, and the Pharisees were this group of these traditional legalistic leaders in Israel. And then they, they come together and they partner with the Sadducees, which are these liberal leaders, And what's fascinating is that the Sadducees believe that the kingdom of God would never be set up on earth. They actually denied that the resurrection would take place and they they denied the existence of angels. The Pharisees didn't believe all that. And yet, the two of them come together and these parties, they share this bond because they had a common pursuit And that common pursuit was to go against Jesus, to get Jesus to stop teaching, to get Jesus to to stop gaining so many followers and, and teaching truth, and eventually to stop him by killing him. This is the partnership that happens. And so what these two also believed real strongly was that their beliefs and thoughts on Jesus was truth. Was, was strong truth for them. See, they had witnessed Jesus performing miracles. These are two groups that had seen that. They'd heard him teach. They, they look at Jesus and they had seen the compassion that he had for the people. And they were frustrated. See, Jesus had stumped them by, by using the law against them. And what we see in this text is that truth is a person is standing right in front of them and this group of people missed out on it. They were completely blind. Now, notice what they end up doing. In verse one, it says they come together and they tested 
Jesus. Now, here's something that's really important for us to understand. I want you to understand that it's not a sin to ask God for signs of assurances of his promises. It's not a sin to ask God to assure you of the promises that he has made. But it is a sin for you to demand that God prove himself to you. That's exactly what's happening here. They are sinning because they are demanding that they, that they are so worthy of Jesus to prove his identity to them. And so they make this evil request. Not from this seeking heart to understand who Jesus is, but from wanting God to satisfy their desires rather than the other way around. So they're asking for some visible action that conveys that Jesus is the Messiah. Now what's interesting is the word that Matthew uses here, tested, has been used before in the Gospel of Matthew. If you were to flip back to Matthew 4, which we've already gone over, you're going to end up seeing that that same word in Hebrew is used, and it's tied to someone that's really evil. It's used in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, when Jesus goes into the wilderness, and, and he ends up being tempted or tested by Satan. So the word that Matthew puts there is the same word that is used with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And so now the religious leaders of the day are being connected to Satan himself. Their actions are evil. And they're acting in the same way that Satan did. Matthew does that to make sure that we understand the evilness that is taking place. Now, I want you to also remember that just prior to this, Jesus provided a sign. I mean, we just talked about it last week. He provided a sign by feeding 4,000 people. So, this demand comes, and I want you to see in verse 3 how Jesus responds. He ends up saying, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Now, Jesus ends up pointing out that these men can predict the weather by looking up. And that they can tell what's going to be taking place. But they can't tell the signs that Jesus has already pointed out to the kingdom of heaven. They are completely blind to it. See, it's, it's like the religious leaders look for signs every day on what kind of weather is going to be happening. But they can't open their eyes to what is happening with the kingdom of heaven coming. And so, he says that they are a wicked and adulterous generation. And so the only sign that will be given them is the sign of Jonah. Now, I don't know uh, if it's just coincidence or what, but uh, whenever uh, Hannibal was talking to us about who was going to preach what, 
he ended up giving me this text and what also happened was last year, he also gave me the other text that talked about the sign of Jonah. So I have no idea if Hannibal's trying to tell me something, um, but that's what is taking place. And so whenever we looked the last time at this, what we understood is that the sign of Jonah wasn't Jonah bringing miracles. Jonah was the sign himself. He didn't come and, and perform a miracle. He didn't provide any signs. He just ended up going and preaching to the Ninevites and he preached judgment. But that happened after he spent three days and nights in the belly of a fish. And then he's given new life and he's, he's spit out and he goes and he ends up presenting truth to the Ninevites. And what ends up happening is the Ninevites surrender to God. If you remember the story, Jonah's super upset about that. But he preached the truth. Now what's fascinating is, is Jesus ends up saying... The only sign you will have is the sign of Jonah, meaning that the only sign that you are going to be given is the death and resurrection of me. So the sign that you're going to have to accept is the death and resurrection of the greater Jonah, Jesus. And yet, the religious leaders chose not to repent. So what's the religious leader's problem? What's happening here. See, these weren't stupid men. In fact, in society at that time, these were the men that were regarded with high intellect. They were incredibly smart. They had all this education. And so we, we look at this and we go, but they're blind. Why are they blind? Yes, they had their eyesight, but they were blind to the, to the truth. And what we find is that their hearts are hardened and they're bitter towards Jesus, towards the truth that's right in front of them. And so Jesus enters Jewish territory and immediately he comes and the blind start to test him not to truly know who he is but to try to puff up their own pride. See, Jesus threatens their religious power. Jesus threatens their intellect. Jesus threatens their fame, their way of seeing God. And their pride is saying that they will get to know Jesus on their terms rather than on Jesus' terms. See, their pride is that they, they have all this influence and they believe that they should keep that. And the influence that they had, the steps that they were going to take, having this prideful influence in their life would end up being catastrophic for their souls. So I want to ask you, the pride that you allow into your life, the pride that you're allowing to just take place in the small areas of your life will eventually come out in the large areas of your life. And how are you handling it? How has pride taken root in your heart? And where is it making you blind to the truth that is in front of you of the promised king? 
See, often you and I will want to view our identity of Jesus on our terms rather than on his. Often we'll come with our pride and we'll say that we know how to handle things better than the risen Savior. And I want to remind you that you have prideful influence in your life just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And unless we deal with it, we will stay blind to the truth that has come. So when we look at this, I want to remind you that we have the promised king has already come. And he wants to move in your heart. Will you surrender? So Jesus deals with these leaders. He deals with them and the text then says he left them. We don't see how um, anything, if there was a response or anything, it just says that he left them. And he gets into a boat and, and, and he goes away. And the sad part of this is that you see that they missed out on something right in front of their eyes. And we have to understand that prideful influence leads to blindness, arrogance, and the missing out of grace. So we see that there's prideful influence going on with the Pharisees and Sadducees, and then we see circumstantial influence that happens. The text shifts, and you end up seeing that uh, they go to this other, uh, other area, and Jesus is with his disciples. And in verse 5, it ends up saying, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. It's an interesting sentence that's just kind of dropped there. They get to the other side of what's believed to be the Sea of Galilee, and they re realize that they forgot to bring bread. And what you have to understand is they got to an area that was really rural and probably not a lot of places to get supplies, to get things to even to make bread. And so they're freaking out. I mean, they're worried. They forgot to bring bread. How are they going to stay nourished? How are they going to fill their bellies? And what's amazing about this is that this is chapter 16. And I want you to stop and hopefully you can just flip one page and you can go to Matthew 15, verse 37. Look at what it says in that, that verse. It says, they all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So let's just ask the question. How in the world do you go from seven basketfuls of leftovers from this incredible miracle and then forget to put it in your sacks and take it with you on your journey? How do you do that? Now I'm sure all the ladies in the room are saying, well, it's because you left it up to 12 men. That's probably a good idea. Like, that, that's probably one of the cases, okay? 
But these are men that have been traveling with Jesus and they forget. They forget to put the leftovers in. And now they are in this circumstance that greatly influences their life. So Jesus chooses to deal with this circumstance, but to teach his disciples. Look at what he says in verse 6. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, it could be that in your copy of the scriptures it says the, the leaven. But Jesus is saying, you know, be on guard against this. What's interesting in chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus uses yeast or leaven as a positive metaphor. And now he's switching it and he's using it as a negative metaphor here. I don't know if you know Alexei Navalny or his story. It's, uh, there's been a recent documentary put out about Alexei Navalny. Um, he was a growing influence in Russia. People thought he was uh, going to come up and he was this energetic, confrontational, uh, social media-minded uh, man that they thought would end up overthrowing Putin in the election. He's an, he was an incredible leader from the standpoint of gathering so many people in a, in a harsh, closed country. Then in August of 2020, his life radically changed. He ends up, he's in an area of Russia, and he gets on a flight. And as his flight is going, he's on a commercial airline, and there's actually video of this. You hear these incredible moans and cries from the back of the plane. And the plane needs to make an emergency landing in one of the, from what we know, one of the harshest places on earth, uh, Siberia. So the, the plane lands and uh, lands because Navalny is in agony and we later find out it's because he was poisoned. Navalny was poisoned with something that's called Novacek. No, they believe that it was put on his clothing, and that whenever he put his clothing on, it ended up getting into his body. What's interesting about the poison is that that poison ends up going after your nerve endings, and it starts to shut down your body uh, one by one, and it just goes after all the nerves, and by the time when you die, when they do an autopsy, the poison has disappeared, and people think that you've just died from natural causes. Navalny actually survived, and he ended up uh, uh, surviving during this time, and, uh, and he is now in a, in a prison in Russia. But why am I talking to you about this poison? It's because Jesus tells his disciples to be careful and on guard against a substance that is hard to even notice it's there. Like when you get your bread, it's rare that you're ever going to realize that the yeast is there. It's a substance that, that is, is small. It, it can be undetectable to some degree. But that little thing has extreme effects on what takes place. 
And Jesus is saying, he starts this statement, and he's saying, beware of this, be on guard. And in kind of a comical way, the disciples end up thinking, he's referring to that we forgot bread. And they're so preoccupied with their circumstance that they miss seeing the teaching that Jesus is bringing to them. See, in many ways, Jesus ends up telling them, you're not acting like true disciples. You're acting like those who follow the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he's saying, I'm telling you to be on guard. See, whenever this takes place, what we see is that circumstantial influence can make you forget. It can make you forget because you end up seeing the circumstances bigger than the one who is with you. It makes you forget that he took seven loaves and fed 4,000 and now there's only 12 of you. Surely Jesus can do something there. See, their circumstance starts uh, impacting the way that they view Jesus and how he lives with us. It's also interesting because when he uses this term of yeast, Jesus is saying that the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees is extremely, extremely dangerous. It's poisonous. So, whenever we look at this, one of the other reasons that this is taking place is... um, that made the Sadducees a little different is the Sadducees ended up making peace with the Roman Empire. And so they kind of combined the Roman Empire with their religion, with their faith. And so Jesus is saying, beware of not just these religious teachers that are giving you false truth, but also beware of the teaching of the world the influence that the world wants to have on you. And so he's, he's telling his disciples, you gotta be on guard against this teaching because it's going to want to come into your life in a small, undetectable way and radically transform the way that you think about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Friends, the influences of your heart will determine the foundation of your faith in Jesus. What is influencing you? See, the disciples, they've witnessed both the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. They've witnessed all sorts of things that, are take, that have taken place where Jesus has radically transformed the physical world in front of them. And yet, they are doubting that Jesus is going to take care of their physical need right in that moment. Their circumstance becomes bigger, and they forget. And I would imagine that for many of us in this room, when the circumstances get tough and they rise up to the surface, that it's in those moments that we start looking for other things and we forget the grace And the truth that Jesus has poured out on us 
And that it's not just that he is someone from the past, that he is walking with us right now in the midst of that circumstance. And to be disciples that truly seek first the kingdom of God, it means that we are people that place ourselves in a position to learn from Jesus, to receive from Jesus, and to trust him in every circumstance. So are you? If we allow circumstantial influence to grab a hold of our life, it's going to distract us, it's going to make us forget, and your faith will have no foundation. So that circumstance that's happening in your life right now, how are you allowing it to grab hold of you? What do you need to surrender today? How do you need to open yourself up to the promises of Christ? That leads to the last influence, promised influence. I want you to see uh, verse 4 and verses 9 and 10. It says this, A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Jesus points this out. And he's saying, your lives are continually under influence. With everything you read, with the people that are around you, And so he's saying, you need to question what is influencing you. The sign of Jonah was said in a way, Jesus is saying this to the leaders because they were blind. It's it's almost like he's saying it uh, in, in a negative way towards them. But I want to remind you that the sign of Jonah is a beautiful thing. For you and me, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing because it's promised influence for our lives. It's that Jesus, he died and he rose three days later. That he conquered death, that he conquered sin. And he's saying because of his gracious sacrifice, the gracious sacrifice for you and for me that it influences our heart, it touches our mind, and it ends up putting our faith into action in every area of our life because we are disciples that follow the promised king who has promised influence in our life. See, the religious leaders, they wanted more evidence. The disciples forgot who was traveling with them. And this is taking place, and then if you think about it, the less that the disciples had, the more Jesus had to work with. Jesus wants to come, and he's saying, don't forget who I am. Don't forget that I fulfill every covenant promise And that I am the promised king. 
And he's saying for us today that uh, many of us in here have now faith, meaning right now we have our faith in Jesus. But Jesus is saying, think about it this way, that you have past faith because you can look back and see the steps that Jesus has taken and that builds your now faith. But because it builds your now faith, that you can look to the future and no matter what circumstance, no matter what's being taught, you can know the truth that is happening and that Jesus still reigns, that he is king, that we are not, and that we get to be called his children. That he wants to firmly plant us in the promise of God eternal. See, the problem is that the religious leaders and the disciples in this moment want more. They want to add. And there's times that we want something more acceptable than Jesus. We want something a little more dynamic than the resurrection. Uh, We want something more that this gospel that we have, we think to some degree that it's dull and we want more and more. And what we have to understand is that as disciples, we will faithfully journey with Jesus even when nothing makes sense because he makes sense out of everything. Now, what we're told is that we're never told if Jesus performed another miracle there. Notice at the end of the text, it doesn't say if Jesus gave them bread. It just says that Jesus was enough. That he was there with them. And that he was taking the journey with him. And so I want to read you a promise that is made to you and to me. It's taken from the Old Testament. In Isaiah 9, you probably read it a month or so ago. Isaiah 9, it says this, for to us a child was born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That is a promise that is made to you and to me. So I want you to take a look today and to understand that the influences of your heart will determine the foundation of your faith in Jesus. And he is the promised king of glory. That's who we worship today. Let's pray. Father, you are great and mighty. You have promised to be the one that would come and to be the eternal sacrifice for us. You are the beautiful sign of Jonah. 
You went to the cross for us. You defeated death by coming out of that grave. And I pray, Lord, that today, my friends here, my brothers and sisters, that we would be a church family that is constantly looking to what is influencing our heart. I pray that you would bind the evil one away from us so that prideful influence would not come in, that our circumstances would not dominate us and make us forget who you are. And may we trust in the promise of Isaiah 9 that you came to establish a kingdom that your disciples would dwell in and live for you. So guide us today. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. One, two, check, check. Amen. Church, we're going to respond. We're going to learn and sing in new songs. Uh, Psalm 150 calls us to praise the Lord in his sanctuary, to praise the Lord in the mighty heavens to praise the Lord for his greatness, for everything that he has done, for the forgiveness of our sins, uh, for the coming of the promised Messiah to die in our place, for the grace and the mercy that we have received in Jesus, our God and Savior. And so we are going to sing that and exalt the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to stand with us. Let's stand together and praise him. And before we do, you know this psalm. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So let's sing to him. You made the starry host, you traced the mountain peaks, you painted the evening skies with wonders. The earth, it is your throne, from desert to the sea, all nature testifies your splendor. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And all you 
promised influence in our life. So let me just pray this over us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways, Lord, may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations day after day. Amen. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. Have a great week.